You're listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers Includes, international law firm Trowers and Hamlin's diversity and inclusion program. Hello and welcome to Trowers in Conversation with Coyled. My name is Rebecca Gujon, DNI Manager at Trowers, and I'm joined here today by my colleague Claire Zekwe, Managing Associate, and Leanne Ali, the author and host of the Coiled Podcast, which is a documentary podcast that explores hair of African origin, as well as following Leanne's personal journey as she transitions from chemically straightened hair back to natural hair. So welcome, ladies. So you might be wondering why we're even discussing hair. I mean, ultimately, it grows, you cut it, and it grows back. So what's the big deal? Well, when it comes to hair of African origin, most more commonly referred to as black hair, it is never just hair, and it's more than just a hairstyle. Black hair, particularly black women's hair, is the most heavily policed type of hair and is not without controversy. And this is why conversations like this one are much needed. While all women experience certain pressure to conform to certain standards of appearance and beauty, society's bias has resulted in prejudice and discrimination against black girls and women based on hair texture and hairstyles that are inherent to their race, such as braids, camos, weaves, wigs, and dreadlocks. To fully understand the enormity of the issue, we have to also understand the historical and cultural significance of black hair and the shifts throughout the years. In pre-colonial Africa, Afro-textured hair and hairstyles were always an important symbol of wealth, identity, family, heritage, tribe, religion, and social rank, as well as a visual language. Ultimately, this was taken away from the black woman when she was forced into slavery. Black people were made to feel ashamed of their hair when Europeans initially colonized parts of Africa and brought with them their ideas of what hair and beauty was supposed to be. After the abolition of slavery, these derogatory attitudes towards natural black hair continued. Straighter, longer hair is historically and currently seen as more beautiful, more professional and less intimidating than frizzier hairstyles. As a result, black people began to use hot combs and harsh chemicals to straighten and tame their hair in ways that mimic European textures. Many black women are subject to racial microaggressions throughout their life, from school right through to the workplace. With hair discrimination and a lack of self-acceptance being an almost universal lived experience, There have been numerous case studies within the media of hair discrimination in the UK and across the world, ranging from everyday school children, those in the workplace and even celebrities. And over the summer, Olympic swimming caps were also heavily debated. Black hair is fascinating and the world is fascinated with it. But that fascination too often comes hand in hand with uninvited curiosity, microaggressions and outright hair discrimination. So in terms of a few stats, the Good Hair Study and the Hair Equality Report found that 58% of black students experience name-calling or uncomfortable questions about their hair at school. One in four black adults had a negative experience at school in relation to their hair texture. 46% of parents say their children's school policy penalised Afro hair, and one in five black women feel societal pressure to straighten their hair for work. And in terms of consumer patterns, the black hair care industry has been valued at more than $2.5 billion, which doesn't include hair accessories and other supplies. 
So it's safe to say that black hair is pretty big business. So without further ado, I'll now hand over to my colleague Claire and our special guest. Thank you, Rebecca. That was a really great introduction to, to set the scene and, and give us an insight to kind of how much there is to discuss um, around black hair. And, uh, and we are so excited to have Leanne join us today um, to have that conversation. So welcome, Leanne. Thank you for um, coming to speak with us today. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. So I guess let's start with finding out a bit about you. Um, I've obviously known you for many, many years, but for our <laughs> audience members uh, who don't, tell us a bit about yourself and, and uh, how you've come to be uh, in the position you are having just produced your podcast, Coils, which will be released on the 1st of October. Yeah, so uh, my name is Leanne Ali. I am a podcast producer and host, and I was producing um, a lot of podcast content for quite a while. I like to really specialise and focus on making content for diverse audiences. So I used to produce the Dope Black Dads podcast and Dope Black Women podcast and Time to Talk with Alex Rees, which is like a black mental health podcast, because I just felt podcasting is one of the mediums where we can actually be our authentic selves without really being, I don't want to say police, but like having someone else to kind of have a say on what kind of content we make, which is why I love podcasting as a medium, because the barriers to entry are so low. And I also work in podcast commissioning uh, one of the big broadcasters and what I found kind of working on the other side is that there's certain type of content that gets made because there are certain um shall we say targets that need to be met and that's all fine and well and good but I just feel like there's a whole load of content out there that can be made but is missing and the reason it's missing is because of the lack of resources to make certain things like i have to say like anyone can make a podcast like if you just want to have a conversation but if you want to make a documentary it's actually long like it takes a lot of work <laughs> it takes resource it takes money if you have it so i kind of pulled all my resources because i'd also done a lot of diversity consulting over the last couple of years in the audio space and invested it into a podcast that i wanted to make for once because i um had a moment last year it was actually August of 2020, so we had just been let free of the first lockdown. And the very first thing that I did is I went to the hair salon, but I got a relaxer. And I didn't think anything of it at the time, but it wasn't until a couple of months later when I just really had a look around at all of my other friends and family. And I was like, wait, why am I still doing this to my hair? Like, I feel like nobody else is still doing it. And that was the first time I actually started to look at the reasons why I'd been doing it for so long. And that uncovered a whole loads of other conversations about black hair and afro hair like where's it come from why why did i personally have this obsession with straight hair and there are so many other things that it covered so i decided to make a podcast out of it and decided to track my whole transitioning journey amazing amazing thank you so leanne you were saying that last august was a pivotal moment for you in terms of getting to the point where you, that you are now having produced this podcast and and decided to um transition from relaxed hair to, to natural hair. Can you tell me a bit about the, the sorts of conversations or thoughts that you had that kind of got you to that point? And what particularly was it, do you think, that made you reflect on your hair after coming out of lockdown and, and going to the hairdressers? I had decided I wanted to do a podcast about black hair. Like I had this idea in my head, but I didn't think it would follow my transitioning journey. And I started reading Emma Debiri's book, Don't Touch My Hair. 
I was reading it and taking it in, but it wasn't until I watched the documentary that she did um, on Channel 4 called Hair Power. And you had all these, like, men and women. Um, there were, like, some celebrities, some hairstylists, like, people that I could identify myself in. They were talking about how powerful their hair was and how amazing it was in their natural form and how much you could do with it. And it just made me, really made me realise, like, oh, well, if this is how amazing like natural afro hair can be why have i decided to keep straightening it for so long because what i also realized is that i tried to experiment a little bit here and there over the first lockdown not very much but i realized that there's actually so many limitations to having relaxed hair there's certain styles that you can't do that afro hair can so when i watched this documentary i was like oh actually maybe there is like more things i can do with my hair maybe i've just because I'd had the relaxed look for so long, I literally had it since I was 10 years old, I didn't really know anything different. I do like braids every now and again, but I just accepted that this was the look for me and would just continue doing it. And I didn't really think that there were so many more options out there for me. And I think, and I talk about this again and again in the podcast, I think this is why representation is so important because when you see yourself in the media, especially and in popular culture, you begin to really realize that you can actually be your whole authentic self especially in the country like the uk when you know black people are just consistently marginalized in every sense of the word when you see people that you can see yourself in especially on the screen you really start to think oh actually i can be my authentic self yeah i, I remember watching that documentary i don't know if you did rebecca and felt similarly very it was just wonderful to watch and, and very empowering and, and 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 positive to to kind of feel celebratory about you know one's own hair and all the different styles that it can come in and, and feeling pride in that you said you mentioned that you'd uh, been relaxing your hair since the age of 10 how did how did that come about was that something that you consciously decided or was you know how did that come to pass what was that experience like for you from from that age I think I can remember kind of wanting straight hair from like the age of six, seven. So I grew up in Reading, as you'll know, Claire, predominantly white area. And at school, at primary school, I was one of three black girls in my class and everybody else was white. And it was very, very clear at a very early age that these white girls with long straight hair were the preferred people in the class. If I think about, you know, it sounds silly to say now, but, you know, who all the boys fancy and all that sort of thing. It was the girls with the long straight hair. And there was a particular memory that I have of a Valentine's Day. I think it must have been in like year one or year two. So it could have been any older than like six or seven. And every single one of these white girls got Valentine's Day cards. And I didn't get a single one. I don't really know why we're giving out Valentine's Day cards at this age anyway. <laughs> but... As you could tell, it's something that really stuck with me for a long time. And I was, honestly, I was so upset that this happened. And I couldn't figure out why it was that I didn't receive anything. And, but I did know that the only things that was different about me to everything, everybody else was my skin colour, but also my hair. Obviously, you can't change the skin. And I never want to change my skin or anything. But if you also think about popular culture at the time, it's like the early 2000s, 
there was a lot of representation of black people, but it was all a lot of straight hair that was represented, if we think about that time as well. Like, the TV shows I was watching, like, Sister, Sister, you know, One on One, That's a Raven. Everybody had straight hair. So I thought, well, if everyone can change their hair, then I can as well. So basically, I kind of just, like, bothered my mum for, like, a few years. And it was when I was about 10 when she actually was like, oh, actually, you can get your hair relaxed now. Because um, I think for her as well, it was just made it easier to manage i do want to also say that with hair relaxers and with this podcast i'm not saying that you should or shouldn't have a particular hairstyle many people do have relaxed hair because it is a cheap option it makes it easier to manage especially you know people who don't have a lot of time it's a convenient option but what i found from doing the podcast is that consistent use of relaxers do actually have health implications for black women so even though my journey has been one of I don't want to relax my hair anymore because I feel like I was conforming to a eurocentric look that just didn't make sense for me it's not to say that no one should ever relax their hair you know mm. it's interesting you talk about manageability of hair because I think that's something that is often one of the perhaps main drivers for people relaxing their hair or certainly is a perception of Afro hair as being unmanageable and I don't use this term because I feel it but you know or unkempt or, or whatever and so I'm interested to hear what you think about you know where that pressure comes from does it come from many different places to have your hair look a certain way and where does that come from that this idea and, and I think Rebecca's introduction alludes to it you know um black hair being unkempt or unmanageable or whatever so let me tell you one thing this western society lies to us okay and they have been lying to us for hundreds and hundreds of years because i'm telling you right now since i have done big chop and i've got natural hair back it's the easiest it's ever been to manage the idea that afro hair is difficult to manage it's a complete fallacy like it's not true and i think the way brands market products to us is like we need to have five, ten different products, you need to have your shampoo, your conditioner, your leave-in, your co-wash, your gels, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, you can use all these things, but you can actually maintain your hair very, very simply. But this idea that black hair is inferior and difficult to manage, you can trace it back all the way back to colonialism. So if you think pre-colonialism times, the time it took to do Afro hair is the time it took. And I think that's something that Emma Dabiri said it's actually seen as a social art so people would especially women but men and women would come together do each other's hairs they wouldn't wear their hair out in an afro that's more like a, a western um thing but they would do different styles like braids and the african threading and knots and it was an art like it symbolized so much however when slavery happened and colonialism happened one of the things that was pleased heavily was afro hair and i think one of the reasons for that and this is something that um dr Kadian powell shared with us who is a um lecturer of black studies at birmingham city university she was saying the reason that afro hair was pleased so much is because during this colonialism time it was a constant reminder that there is another way to live and it was like a, almost like a constant threat to white supremacy so there was forced shavings of the hair. Men and women were forced to cover their hair. 
even after the abolition of slavery, there were still social laws that were in place to police black hair. So there was the Tingyong laws in Louisiana, which suggested that black and mixed race women should cover their hair with scarves. I mean, black women did turn it into a fashion statement, but it was still a social law. But there was also other things like the poem test and the pencil test, which um, basically measured your blackness based on the texture of your hair. So really, historically, Afro hair has been more of a marker of blackness than skin colour to a certain extent. And I know that we talk a lot about colorism now, and that's a term that is actually widely understood, but texturism is just as important. I think it's not something that we talk about as much, and it's still something that we see today, even if you think about the representation that you see like online, like on Instagram, and on YouTube especially, with this preference for defining your curls and kind of having more um, softer curly looks rather than kinky looks. So essentially, this idea that black hair is difficult and complicated really stems back to um, colonialism because pre all of that, like Afro hair was a social art, like people loved doing their hair and it symbolised so much. And Essentially, that was just stripped away from us and it has been that way since then. Thank you. Yeah, that's so true and so so fascinating there's a couple of things you've said there i want to touch on kind of in terms of where we're going forwards and, and i guess the natural hair movement and the the sort of reclaiming of the power that is in you know afro hair and celebrating it and being proud of it but we sort of touched on your experience in school of hair and and how that made you feel and wanting to relax your hair as a result how have you found your hair in the workplace? What have you discovered from doing the podcast and speaking to friends and family about, you know, their experiences of, of hair in, in the workplace or for those still at school or university, you know, um, those experiences that they may have? I don't know if you guys want to also speak to this because I'd be also interested to hear your experiences, but it was always fine for me until, because obviously I had relaxed hair, so no one really thought anything of it but then the first time I came into work with braids and I hadn't done braids for absolute years and I remember it was my one of my first jobs and I worked at a tech company and you would have thought no one would have seen a black person before honestly I couldn't believe I mean I could believe but all the comments it was thing it was so stupid things like oh what time do you have to get up every morning to do that and like, oh, do you have to give the hair back when you're finished? And I was literally just like, literally, have you guys never seen a black person before? Like, are you actually serious? And that did last like a good few days. And I was literally just like, I just, I just can't be bothered. Like, I literally can't be bothered with that. And then it didn't stop me from continuing doing the hairstyles that I wanted to do. But it does remind you of those times like back in primary school especially when you come in with a new hairstyle this is what I found I spoke to a lot of people on the podcast as well that they would almost dread the days when they'd come into school or come into work with a brand new hairstyle you get all the damn questions like oh how'd you do that no can I touch it it's just like I'm sorry you're never asking Sandra about how she did her hair when she comes in with a new hairstyle last week so why do you have to be asking me and honestly I'm just actually since I've cut my hair I haven't actually been able to go into the office although I've had had the questions on zoom I'm just like so guys, I cut my hair, and that's it. <laughs> that is it. I don't know what you guys' experience have been in the workplace, but I'd be interested to hear. Claire and I have actually touched on this in, in our own conversations. Um, that feeling of almost bracing yourself after a weekend, getting your hair done at the weekend, feeling, I'm looking good, um, 
and feeling really proud of your hairstyle and then bracing yourself ready for arrival at work on the Monday morning or whether it's school, if it goes back to school, for, as you said, Leanne, comments, a barrage of questions. Um, and I just want to know, often they're well-meaning, um, but I think in the individuals, each individual doesn't realise that they are just one of several people <laughs> firing those questions um, at you, um, and you, you've covered most of them. Um, sometimes um, uninvited hair touching, not even um, permission sought beforehand. <laughs> mm. It's funny, It's uh, I think perhaps until, you know, Rebecca and I had that conversation or, or I've thought about these things more in recent years, you almost get to a point where you're I've perhaps become conditioned to expect it, so that, you know, knowing that you change your hair and come in and you brace yourself for questions and, and as Rebecca said, often very well meaning and, and actually just goes to the root of the, the fact that there's a lack of understanding and, and if we, for want of a better phrase, quote, normalised black hair as just another type of hair that people have and there was a level of understanding just in general terms about the variety and what people can do and that's just okay well that's just your hair that's cool then we perhaps wouldn't have those sorts of conversations or have to deal with those sorts of um questions um but i i've always been quite conservative with my hair at, at school i just wanted something that was going to be very easy and i just didn't want to have to think about you know doing anything with it so i was kind of the opposite to Juliana, I had braids all through school and university and I would remember I wouldn't want to leave the house or go anywhere if I had my hair out of braids but you know it would be like take the mm. braids out wash relax my hair I don't know why I was doing that when I was braiding it and then immediately go to the hairdressers to braid it again and I don't want to go anywhere I don't want them to see anyone see me and I was just hiding myself from from people uh, because I felt comfortable with the braids I thought I can deal with that but you know with that came comments at primary school I remember one boy joking that I looked like Bob Marley because of my braids are you joking um, <laughs> I mean the wrong oh hair my goodness. Bob Marley obviously had had, uh, had dreadlocks and, and I was just wearing my hair in braids. So, yeah, there's so many of those things. And I think the older I've gotten, it kind of carried on through till university and then experiment with having slightly interesting colours in my hair, but it was still always braids. It was still always what I considered safe and I never really branched out from that. In more recent years, I think perhaps since in the probably in the last eight years since I moved to London, definitely feeling more that I can explore that. But it's not just a decision of, oh, I fancy changing my hair, I'm going to do it. I'm always thinking about what's the impact going to be? How am I going to be perceived professionally? Will people comment? Will it somehow become a distraction for another person that I've done my hair in a particular way? It shouldn't because, you know, my hair doesn't do my job. I do my job. But mm. these are all things that I've thought about over time and, and at my big, big age, as it were, of 35, only just now starting to feel more comfortable and confident in exploring that further. You know, I have two sisters, as you know, Leanne, and the youngest is 18. And she wears her hair, has been wearing her hair naturally all through the pandemic and her hair is long and thick and, and lovely. And I sort of kind of envy her, mm. the freedom with which she's been able to do that. I mean, she still has her She's still a teenager, so she gets cautious about things and looking good and all the rest right. of it. But um, I like to think that we've kind of, we're starting to move into a different space with all of that. But it's just kind of hearing you both mm -hmm. speak and, and reflecting on my own experiences. It definitely 
permeates from a very very young age and it just it does throughout can i just say though it feels a little bit sad to hear you say that every single time that you go for another hairstyle you've kind of thought about what the impact has and i feel like it's really sad that our society can make black women feel that way because really you should be empowered to do whatever it is that you can want to do with your hair because we can do so many things with our hair and no other race can really do that and i think that's also part of the reason why i've done this podcast as well i've made it for black people by black people but i think it can also act as an educational piece so for people who don't understand anything about black hair and all its different forms and textures and what it can do instead of asking your colleagues xyz who it's not our job to educate you but listen to this podcast and educate yourself you know that's how i kind of see it as well what did you kind of discover through doing the podcast about you know the way because we're, we're talking about our own personal experiences but it's also important i think to highlight how this isn't just the three of us having a common experience this is very common across the board and the, on the one hand people making comments and on the other hand there's children being expelled from school because the hair doesn't look a certain way or conform with the school standards and or whatever i mean what did you discover around that whilst doing the podcast it's interesting because i feel like there's a lot of people out there that are doing some really great work to improve representation and understanding of black hair but we still have a very long way to go i still feel like there are still a lot of children that are going through experiences that i went through kind of really wanting to change their hair when they're growing up because they didn't have that representation one thing that really surprised me is a the lack of education about the chemicals that we put into afro hair so for example the chemicals that go into hair relaxers because at the time that we're doing the research there was a lot of research to say that there's links between consistent use of hair relaxers and health issues like fibroids but not enough research say it's conclusive and then only earlier this year in may another study came out saying that yes there is links to consistent use of lye-based hair relaxers and breast cancers and the fact that we're only getting this information in 2021 i think is insane also there's no protection against the discrimination of black hair which is why we're still seeing people getting um, shunned at work and expelled from school because firstly, the Equality Act only came out in 2010, which I think in hindsight is mad. And secondly, the Crown Act is a law that protects against the discrimination of Afro hair. That's been passed in certain states in America, like New York and LA, but it still hasn't been passed over here. I feel like some of the campaigning and messaging that you see, you would have think it would have been passed, but it hasn't. And we spoke to Zena Alpha, who started the petition for this, and she said, I've been campaigning for this for two years and we still haven't got to 100,000 signatures and we need 100,000 for it to be debated in Parliament, which just goes to show that there's that lack of understanding as to why it's such an important issue. I mean, they're nearly there. They're literally like 2,000 signatures away. But the fact that it's taken this long, mm. I think, speaks volumes. Saying that, there is a lot of amazing work that's being done and I think it really starts with that education piece in the school system. So Michelle de Leon, she is the founder of World Afro Day. She started the Big Hair Assembly about five years ago. And this is like the biggest um, World Afro Day that they've ever done this year. It was on the 15th of September. And it's a school event for all children, not, not just black children, all children, just educating them about Afro hair. And the stories that she was telling us about the response from some of the kids that were involved, especially the non-black kids, it's just like 
really really amazing just to hear about how it how much they love the event how excited they were about it and it's that level of education that you still in children at a young age mm. will hopefully transfer into their later lives when they go into the workplace and things like that so you're not gonna have to deal with all the ignorance around afro hair so there's that and also there's other things like coco girl magazine and coco boy magazine which is like the first black magazine for kids and i think about the magazines that i used to read when i was growing up because we used to get magazines all the time it's things like girl talk and like Ms. you'd never see a black child on the front cover whereas on this you've got black children on every single page like it's amazing and i just think that it's that representation that's really going to shift the dial but at the same time it can't just be us doing it all the time obviously we will do it because we care about these things and we see that it's important and i'm saying this as someone that works in the media it's the decision makers at the big platform that need to make a difference and consciously make these changes like channel 4's black defunt day was incredible and it was a great thing to see but what are the other broadcasters doing why was this only one day why are we only seeing like one episode of these programs instead of full series being commissioned and it just feels like we as a black community can only do so much and this comes to like everything not just in terms of black hair but even the issue of racism as a whole. We can only do so much as a black community. We actually need our non-white allies to help us shift the dial as well, because there's only so much we can do. But I do think we're seeing a lot of positive changes, but until we get the protection against the discrimination against Afro hair, there's only so much we can do. Yeah. Thanks, Leanne. I totally agree with, with everything you're saying. It's, there's a real collective effort needed to, to foster change now and for future generations. From your perspective then, what is your hope for younger black women, young men, and what your podcast will achieve? I really hope that we get better representation of black people and black hair across the board. Because like I was saying earlier, once you see yourself on screen and in the media and in other spaces it, it just it's that level of acceptance that we probably haven't had properly but i think more representation of afro hair black hair i really want young boys and girls to grow up not wanting to change their hair and just fully being able to embrace their natural hair and their natural form and part of that does come with education as well so knowing the right ways to look after it and maintain it and i think that's hopefully what this podcast can do as well and I also say at the end of the podcast, you know, share this with a younger sibling, friend, cousin, someone that you think needs to hear this. Because I also think education is key. Once we have a better understanding of um, the history of Afro hair, where it comes from, why it's been pleased in a certain way, then you start to understand why it is that you should embrace your natural hair, why it's so, why it's so versatile, why, it, why it's so magical, why it can do all these different things. And you don't get that at school. You don't really get that level of education anywhere else. So I think that's why things like podcasts are so cool and interesting because you can give people that level of education. And I really hope that this podcast empowers black people to do what they want with their hair, whatever that choice may be, but also empower younger generations to fully embrace their Afro hair. And for non-black people who are curious that want to educate themselves more so that they can use this platform to do it instead of asking their colleagues 
Thanks, Leanne. Well, I think that brings us nicely to the end of our conversation. And you did touch on before some of the positive things that are changing with uh, legislation in the US. And so I will hand back over to Rebecca to close out our discussion and give us all something to think about looking forward to what will hopefully be a, a bright and brighter future. Thanks, Claire. Thanks, Leanne. I, I completely agree more, more than ever. Now, black people are asserting their autonomy over their hairstyling decisions. It's exactly what you said, Leanne. You should be able to wear your hair how you want to wear your hair, when you want to, and wherever you want to wear your hair, whether that's in private or in the corporate spaces. We are reconnecting with our heritage and reclaiming what it means to be beautiful and to truly be yourself in all spaces. Leanne mentioned the Crown Act over in the US, which was passed in 2019. Um, in the UK, the Halo Code was created a year ago by a group of young black advocates fighting for the protection and celebration of black hair. Since launching, they have had signups from over 500 schools and organisations um, and have really brought about a large amount of awareness over this prevailing issue. They're also fighting for protection for black hair to be included in the Equality Act, explicitly covered in the Equality Act as well. We've also got big brands such as Pantene, um, Dove, Unilever, that have sponsored campaigns to support the fight in ending hair discrimination in the UK and have also signed up to the Halo Code, which are all really big positive steps. In terms of individuals and, and advocates, people are using their voices to fight against race-based hair discrimination, as well as this new enthusiasm for, for natural hair and embracing your natural hair. Um, African hairstyles like dreads, twists and braids have also re-emerged and are now being celebrated for their artistry and their contributions to black culture. I mean, I get excited when I think about kind of what's to come and the future for younger black boys and girls coming through. So hopefully this is just the beginning of seeing some real lasting change. So thank you, ladies, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers Includes, international law firm Trowers and Hamlin's diversity and inclusion program. Find us at trowers.com forward slash Trowers Includes and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers hashtag Trowers Includes or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.